All right. Good morning, everyone. Well, as we continue our worship in the preaching of God's Word, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, We'll be in verses 18 to 26. And as you turn there, uh, let me just say we are, um, well, I'm glad to be here. And uh, First Baptist Church of Haleiwa uh, gives you their love and their uh, warm greetings. Uh, Vanjie and the kids as well. Uh, Vanjie's not here. She's uh, over at the church um, helping uh, things get going. Uh, Pastor Dan is actually preaching over there this morning. Uh, But this is my second year in a row to preach on Veterans Day weekend. Uh, If I am here again next time this year, uh, that's going to make it a a tradition at that point. Uh, But I have to get through this sermon or else, you know, who knows if I'll even get invited back. Uh, But we'll see how it goes. Uh, But with that, Uh, What I'll do is I'll give a brief church update, um, just because, you know, uh, Hawaii Kai Church is the church that sent me to First Baptist Church Haleiwa, so you guys deserve an update to see what you guys sent me to, and to just check up on me and see how things are going. Uh, But uh, let me start with a church or or a country story. I like to share some of these things sometimes uh, before I uh, launch into an update. And I don't believe I've shared this one yet with you guys, but there was one Sunday where the church was ultra attentive and extra alert during my preaching. And I'm like, man, God is doing something in in this place. What is this? And they were hanging on every word, and it seemed like they were at the edge of their seats. They were riveted about what they were hearing. And then basking in the glory of of what just took place, I asked Vanjie afterwards uh, with my chin held high. So what did you think of that sermon? And then she says, you know, I missed some of it because there was a mouse scaling the brick wall behind you, and everyone was looking at that thing. And that's a good reminder that if anything good happens in your ministry, it's only because the Lord was at work. It it ain't you. Okay, it ain't you. Uh, But uh, church update, quick church update. Uh, I have a few things I just want to share with you. Uh, In June, two people were baptized, and I know it's just so Baptist to report baptisms, uh, but one of them was my son, Joshi, who professed Christ during a youth camp uh, he attended with Hawaii Kai Church the prior year. And so you guys continue to be a spiritual blessing to me uh, in my family. Uh, The other person was a gal who wanted to get baptized last year, and it was abundantly clear to me that she wasn't a Christian. Uh, She couldn't even profess Christ. When asked, who is Jesus Christ to you, she gave me a blank stare. Like, what? what? I took a step back and I asked her, have you ever repented from your sins? She says, what's that? Well, long story short, she had a boyfriend who recently came to Christ, uh, whose baptism I actually reported last year. He started sharing to her the gospel. I started to share the gospel to her more. Vanjie uh, started to meet with her and went through a book called, What is the Gospel?, And we were all praying for her, and then earlier this year, her papa passed away, uh, her grandfather, and the only thing she could think about that that made sense of of all the things going on was the gospel. That's how she connected the dots in her mind and in her heart. And after just going through that, those things in her mind, she repented of her sins, placing her faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, it's okay for Baptists to share about baptisms, as long as you tie it back to the gospel, right? So praise God for what he is doing in and through our churches. Uh, We recently added a new member to the church. Uh, Two years ago, he was my biggest critic. 
I mean, he showed up at church with a, a, a machete sheath on the side of his pants. It was empty, but it was still scary. Uh, and um, he is now a happy member of the church. Uh, today, he's a great source of encourage, encouragement to me in the ministry. And so what a wonderful thing that God did um, in his life. Um, and lastly, I'm going to share something pretty vulnerable with you all. As you know, I've been a bivocational pastor with Hawaiian Electric. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, during my entire time at First Baptist Church Haleiwa, I started off as a contractor, then I became full-time. Because uh, at the end of December, the, the contract ended, and to make ends meet, I needed a transition as an FTE, a full-time employee. Um, bivocational work, uh, for me, <laughs> it, uh, it's... You know, you think about bivocational ministry and work as part-time secular job, part-time, you know, ministry and full-time ministry or ministry. Uh, for me, it was full-time secular work and full-time pastor. Uh, my normal and typical schedule since I've been, uh, been at the church is to have zero days off, and that is not good. Um, don't ever do that. Don't do what I do, okay? It's, it, it was bad, and it got me to the point of uh, getting burned out. And when you're burned out, it's hard to think straight. Um, in July, I began to feel this a little bit more. And honestly, I felt like quitting, just quitting everything. I was so tired and so done and burned out. Um, I felt used and abused, um, and it, it, it was just so exhausting. Um, like I said, it's so hard to think straight. But I'm thankful of sober-thinking brothers who are not in my shoes, who remind me of my call to pastor, and to ask God for help. I mean, you need to get on your knees, you know, they, they would tell me. And among those brothers are pastors Dan and Dave. Uh, these guys I get to talk to, they're still there. Um, I, I asked to have dinner with them. And so we had dinner over here. I, I drove all the way down here to talk with them. And these guys, I mean, they, they, I just love them from the bottom of my heart. So I am glad to report that the church uh, voted in increasing my salary to allow me to be a full-time pastor, and that's it. Um, it's so amazing that the church did that. Uh, this, this Friday will be my last day at Hawaiian Electric. Isn't that cool? And I'm so thankful uh, for the church that they would do this, uh, for God uh, having done this. I'm thankful for Hiko, you know, for, for allowing me to work and just make ends meet uh, during this time. And they were so gracious. Uh, they, my, my, my boss told me, you are leaving for the right reason. And it was, it was such a wonderful blessing. They're going to throw a party for me on Friday. Um, I haven't even been there full-time even a year. And I go, yeah, I don't deserve that. And, uh, but it's just so cool. God, it's just, to me, it's just God's favor and God's blessing. And I'm excited to move on. So that's my update. I told last service, don't ask me how I'm doing. Just hug me, okay? You got all the updates. You guys know how I'm doing, all right? So anyways, I'm glad to be here. We're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. The title of our sermon this morning is Desperate Faith. When you come to the end of yourself, Christ continues to be the proper object of faith. When Pastor Dan and Pastor Dave directed me to go to Christ in prayer, I mean, really, where else can I go? What else are they supposed to say? That's what they're supposed to say, right? Lost sinners and troubled saints will always find their rest in Jesus Christ. Desperate faith. And we have here in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. 
And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put aside, outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went through all that district. So if you're taking notes, the flow of this message is simple. The first thing is the two great displays of desperation and then two great displays of faith. And the last thing we'll look at is what can we learn? So in the midst of desperation, what we're going to see is a firm faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever it is you're going through, and dear church, I know we all go through things. You know, we put on the, the nice smile and all that stuff, and that's great because it is a good thing to, to gather uh, as a church to worship God. But, you know, we all go through things, and God sees. But whatever it is you're going through, May you be encouraged this morning to keep your eyes on Christ. And for the sake of time, we're just going to jump right in, okay? So first we want to look at two great displays of desperation. And what you have here is a defeated ruler and a disappointed woman. They find themselves having nowhere else to go but to Christ. The Bible calls that faith. Notice first the defeated ruler in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. In the Synoptic Gospels, we find that in Luke chapter 8, verse 41, that the ruler's name is Jairus. It says he's a ruler of the synagogue, which would imply a well-respected and wealthy family. And Luke also sheds more light and that this daughter was his only daughter, and that she was only 12 years old. The Bible describes death as an enemy. That's what we're dealing with here when Jairus presents his dead daughter to, to Jesus. We must always remember that death is an enemy. It stings. It hurts. It separates. It ruins. Outside of Christ, it ruins and destroys. There's no amount of money or respect that you can gain or offer or give up. To avoid it, this man, though he is well-respected, though he may have been a man of renown, maybe he had deep pockets, there was nothing he can do about this situation. This ruler's daughter is dead, and he feels defeated. So what does he do? He goes to Jesus, and he falls on his knees. In a world like ours, when people are going to science, going to drugs or diets or doctors, those are fine things uh, to go to, but what do you do when they're already dead? What do you do? You don't go to a doctor when they're already dead. You don't go to a diet when they're already dead. This man goes to Jesus. This man's faith is amazing because he bows the knee to the one who has power over death. He is not bowing the knee to some arbitrary deity who perchance might be able to help. No, he is bowing the knee to the Lord. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel, right? There's this posture of kneeling. 
as a form of your worship that says, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And we've got to tie that to Colossians 1.16 where it says of Christ, for by Him all things were created. By Jesus, all things were created. All things came to be. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. It is not the mere act of kneeling, but also the act of recognition of who it is you're kneeling to. This is who Jesus is, and this man knows. This defeated ruler's only hope is Christ. He is bowing to the Lord, the Maker, the Creator God, the one who has life in His hands. And the question is this. Is He the one you bow to this morning? Why did you come here this morning? Is He the one you bow to? Did you know that Jesus does more than provide temporary life here on earth? He gives eternal life with God forevermore. Are you bowing to him this morning? This ruler is an example for us all. Don't we all have loved ones in our lives who are spiritually dead? This man had a dead daughter. He goes to Jesus. But don't we all know somebody who is spiritually dead, somebody who is near to us, somebody we care about so much, someone we love so much? What science? What medication, what diet, as it were, can you offer them? What strategy of evangelism, what smooth words have you to offer? What do you do when they're already dead? What did this father do for his dead daughter? It's the same thing you must do for your lost child, your lost parent, your lost neighbor who outside of Christ are dead. You must kneel before the Lord your maker, there is nowhere else to go. Jesus Christ is your only hope. And notice next the disappointed woman. In verse 20, Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Now, whereas Jairus' daughter enjoyed life for 12 years and is now dead, this woman has suffered disappointment after disappointment for 12 years and is still alive. Mark 5.26 tells us that after seeing many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Can you imagine having a glimmer of hope after the doctor's visit, only to be plunged into deeper despair as your condition gets worse? You know, I just really don't know how people do it without Christ when they're in those kinds of situations. This woman's condition made her ritually unclean, which meant she could not touch her husband. She could not touch her children. She needed to be away from her family. Uh, one commentator says she would have hovered as a ghost in her home, there and yet not there. He was... Uh, there's... there's this, this condition of hers was just not physical only. It, it extended to social aspects of her life, reaching her very home. You know, I remember when the COVID pandemic hit, and I know this, you, you guys could recall, it's not that far, uh, 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 that far away since it happened. When it first came into the scene, there was a time when most of the people I knew did not have covid and then the people I knew, they didn't know anyone who had COVID. And then when someone got COVID, what was their reaction? Like, <gasps> you know, I don't know how it was for you. There's like this gasp, right? Whoa, what? You know, just this 
someone you knew, like getting COVID, it was, it was strange. But then now the world has changed, right? Uh, we all know someone who's gotten COVID. If not, we caught it ourselves, right? It's so, it's so different now, right? But there was this gasp. And there was, there was this thing that when you knew somebody, you just, who had it, you kind of knew to, to stay away, right? Well, this lady, she was unwelcome. There was this gasp over her condition. There was this gasp of not wanting to be around her. But this lady, even though she was unwelcome, even though she was the one you stayed away from, she just needed to get to Jesus. She was just like Jairus in that Jesus was her only hope. And in each of these cases that were brought to Jesus, he brings healing and life because of their faith. So let's look at their faith. We saw their desperation. There's desperate situation. Let's look at their faith. Verse 22, uh, the woman's faith, it brings healing. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, for your uh, faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. What an awesome display of power and healing. Because this woman for 12 years went from physician to physician, thinks she's going to get well, she doesn't get well, and it's just, there's hope, and then the hope is crushed, and it's, and it's just despair. And it happened for 12 years. And then instantly meeting Jesus, boom, it's gone. Automatically, now you can, uh, you can be near your husband. You can be near your children. You can walk amongst the people. You are now welcome. Jesus made her well. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. But in this text, there's something even more amazing. Well, what's more amazing than that? There's something more amazing than that. I don't know if you caught it. It says, take heart, daughter. Oh, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Could it be that she was daughter because she was family? She was daughter and she was received by Jesus even before the healing. Even before her being ritually cleansed, she was still ritually unclean. Daughter, you're welcome. Come near. That is more precious than her physical ailment. That she is a daughter. That she was addressed by Jesus as daughter. Is her trust, is her trusting in Jesus weaving through the crowd to get to Jesus. Is her trust a testimony of what she already was? Jesus attributes the healing not to her touching his garment, but to faith. Her faith moved her to touch his garment. And even before that, it moved her to be where she's not even supposed to be as a ceremonially unclean person. And in the city within a crowd of people, she was there where she was not supposed to be, where she was not welcome. She was still there. She made sure to be there where Jesus was. And Jesus recognized that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. That's amazing. But not only does the woman's faith bring healing, we also see that the ruler's faith brings life. We see another example of faith here in verse 23. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put, up, put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. You see, where there is death, there is mourning. 
The flute players and the crowd are there to mourn the death of the little girl. And you wouldn't have those things in place if it were not a real death. There was a real death here that took place, and so the flute players and the mourners were there. The mourning is disrupted, though, with laughter. You see that? And what is the laughter? The laughter is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. It is laughable for these people that Jesus would take the dead and bring them to life. You know what it is when someone comes to life after death? What's that called? Resurrection. The, the notion and the concept that Jesus could bring somebody to life is a laughable thing to these people because they don't believe it. That can't be true. There's no faith there. When Jairus went to Jesus, when he bowed the knee, pleading with Jesus for his dead daughter, he wasn't laughing. And by the way, laughing is not bad. Laughter sometimes it does minister to the soul. But when it is the kind of laughter that has no faith, that lacks faith, that rejects Christ, that's not good. When a truth of God is made and they treat God's truth like comedy, that's not good. This is, Jesus Christ had no punchline. He was not telling a joke here. He was proclaiming truth here, and they laughed. And then Jesus, right, says, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. That's, that's what Jairus says. He had faith. Jesus puts all those faithless people out of the room so that as Mark 5 tells us, it was only the father and mother and the disciples left in the room. They witnessed a great miracle. Jesus took her by the hand and she lived. Wow, isn't that amazing? She was dead. She didn't respond. She was lifeless. And then boom, she's alive. That is amazing. That is only something Jesus can do. And so you, you see this desperate situation. You see this act of faith by Jairus, by this woman. But what can we learn here? This is an amazing scene. And it's here written by Matthew so that we can learn from this. What are we supposed to learn here? And that's what we want to get to the bottom of. There are many things, and I'm just going to point out a few. But here, let me just say, just to kind of cap off this text here that we're dealing with. In verse 26 of Matthew 9, it says, And the report of this went through all that district. And so what Jairus went through, what this woman went through, it became known. The news spread. And the question is, how did those people react to this? How did they respond? When they heard this information, how did they view Jesus? Were they laughing over this stuff? Or were they believing? But what can we learn here in this room today? The people heard the news. We heard the news. How are we going to respond? Well, here's some things. First, all can come to Jesus. All can come to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a high-class ruler or a lowly woman. All can come to Jesus. You know, my drive here from the North Shore, it's kind of long. It's not short. It's not a short ride. It's a beautiful drive, though. Beautiful drive. But in my drive, I drove by a tent on a sidewalk because someone slept on that sidewalk last night. And I drove by this big old mansion, you know, 
And you can kind of see that even within our society, within our area, our geographical area, we do see those who are lowly, we do see those who are well off, all can come. Did you know that? All can come, not just the well off, but also those who are uh, impoverished, all can come. And the Bible says all have sinned. That's what makes it so amazing. All can come, but all have sinned. The Bible says that what you deserve for sin is death, to be separated from God forever. Because of that, all actually need Jesus. All have sinned, all need Jesus, all can come. What an amazing gospel that we preach. We can preach to anyone and everyone because all can come. And for you precise theologians out there, by the word can, I know sometimes that word can, can uh, frustrate our theology, but what I mean by can is that when you come, he will turn none away. He has open arms. The sad truth is, not, is that not all actually do come, but all who come will be saved. He will receive. Isn't that amazing? When this lowly woman, discharged of blood, comes to Jesus, come. Daughter, this well-to-do man, this ruler of the synagogue, he comes, he receives him. All can come. What, what an amazing testimony of our Savior, of his open arms, of his love. The second thing we want to also pick up from this is that faith connects you to Jesus. Don't ever forget who you're connected to. Don't ever forget who your faith brings you alongside of, what your faith taps you into. Faith is not a magic wand that gets you what you want. A lot of people think, you know, believe in Jesus and all your problems will go away. It's like this magic wand that you just kind of dangle, right? But faith is not a magic wand. Faith is a connector. It is a grace that connects you to Jesus. Faith connects you to the one who made all things, who has the power to, to bring life where there is death. And what a picture of the woman reaching out to him. See, that's a picture of what faith is. It connects you to Jesus. He cleanses the woman to help us understand that he's the one who cleanses us. And he's the one who does so much more for us. Our sin is a far more deadlier disease than having a continual discharge of blood. Our sin separates us from God forever. But just as Jesus cleansed that woman, he can cleanse you of your sin. But you must have faith. Because when you have faith, you're connected to the one who can wash you. You're connected to the one who can cleanse you. You're connected to the one who can save you. No faith, you're disconnected. You're outside of his power that will save you, that will cleanse you and wash you. But you see, that's what faith is. It's a connector. It's amazing. All can come to Jesus. Faith connects you to Jesus. And the other lesson is this. Life comes from Jesus. Resurrection is laughable to the world, but not to the ruler who has a dead daughter. Again, this is a picture. Just as Jesus raised this girl to life through faith, he will raise you to eternal life from the death sin has brought upon us. Faith is special because of who it connects you to. 
desperate faith is needed because of where we really are. Because if we're all honest, we're all desperate. For who here is not desperate for the life that Christ offers? And if you have the life, which, which of you do not have a loved one that needs Christ? Say, yeah, I have, I have the life. But don't you know someone who does it? Don't you know someone who's dead? Aren't you desperate, helpless to help that person? Don't you need Christ for that person? Faith is a connector. And in each of these cases, faith connects these people to Christ. And when you have faith, it connects you to him who saves. So I would say for those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, stop wasting your time trying to do it yourself. Stop laughing. Drop what you're doing. Stop making fun. You are in a desperately hopeless situation that only Christ can deliver you from. If you don't know Jesus today, that's serious. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, and that's serious. Would you, like the ruler, fall on your knees and ask Jesus for life? Or would you, like the woman, forgetting what everyone else says or thinks about you? Because sometimes it's laughable to go to Jesus. Who cares what they say? Would you go to Jesus and just believe? He'll make you a daughter. He'll make you a son. Come to him. And dear church, why did you need to hear this this morning? And I believe it's because you must be reminded and be constantly encouraged of this thought. That the object of saving faith continues to be the proper object of your faith today. Don't all of a sudden stop praying. Don't all of a sudden start doing your own thing and getting so busy that you can't go to Jesus and trust him still. We are people of faith, aren't we? You know, this is embarrassing to say, but I'll say it anyways. It's something I, I went through recently. I laughed at the thought that my little church can support me full time. Wow. Support me full time? No, they couldn't do that. That was a conversation I wanted to have 10 years from now. And then God made my body shake. And God says, you don't know anything, Amel. And I got desperate. I had to go to, I had to drive all the way here just to talk to Dan and Dave. And they only, you know what they told me? They told me stuff I already knew. Trust Jesus. Pray. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I looked at the budget. You know, because, you know, money don't grow out of trees, right? How are they going to really support me? I looked at the budget. And the money that I needed to survive, it was already there. It was coming in monthly already. I didn't even know that. And I go, oh, my goodness. Amel, you have little faith. You know what, guys? We need to start, stop laughing. Not that you couldn't laugh at a joke, but we need to stop laughing at God's truth. We need to stop laughing at what God can do. We need to stop laughing when we have someone in our life who could not possibly get saved. Someone in our life who's hard to reach. Some daughter, some son, some friend, some neighbor. They could not possibly come to Jesus. Stop laughing. Be like Jairus. Fall on your knees. Bring them to the Lord. Offer them up. Give them the gospel and see what God will do. Right? This is the kind of people that we are. We're not people who live by sight. Well, it's good to see these things sometimes, right? 
No, we are people of faith. Be that this week. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and we're so thankful for the grace we have in Christ. We are so thankful for saving grace, for sanctifying grace, for sustaining grace, the lavish grace you give us. Let us know that this week. Let us feel that this week. And let us go forth with that as a people of God. Let us be lights for you. To you be the glory, all the glory, in and through your church. Be glorified. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.